Hope you were doing well uh, today. Uh, we, we have a tremendous text uh, before us, a text that has been shaping my heart really for the last two weeks and, and never more so than this morning. And so I'm grateful to be one that gets to lead you through it today. Uh, but if you will, open up your Bibles to James chapter 5, the, the fifth chapter of James. We will be in verses 13 through 20. This is the next to last message in our One Another series. And I just want to be, if not the, the first one to say, I want to at least be the loudest one to say this, is that this summer has been a blessing for my soul. It's been a blessing for my soul. I, I, was, I was led as much last week uh, by, you know, as we say, my, my pastor, Keith, he led me last week. And between the time of teaching and togetherness that, that we had on Sunday, my, my heart was pushed more into the likeness of Christ. And this just every week has been such a blessing. Uh, may today be so for you. James chapter 5, one of the most, uh, I think, uh, untouched passages in the scriptures. We're going to be looking today, our one another command. There's actually two that exist. I believe in, uh, they go together very well, but it's confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I'm going to read the word of our Lord and then pray for us and and we will jump into uh, this text. So if you will uh, read along with me. Uh, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that, Lord, it, it would be your spirit who would be most active in this room today. May you take your word and may you apply it to your people's hearts. Lord, may you open up our minds. May you open up our eyes to be able to see and our ears to be able to hear what your word would lead us to today. God, you desire us to live in freedom. God, may we be a people today who are free. 
we're free. God, do that work today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to begin our time, uh, if you will, go ahead and open up your, your outline and, and follow along with me. Uh, there's a decent amount there on the outline. That's nothing compared to what I wanted to put in there. So just, just get ready. Uh, let's first begin with really an intro in to our one another command. And, and if I could label this intro, it would be this, is that personal prayer matters. Okay, Our point there, number one, you will see is this, is that James is going to teach us that personal prayer is vital for all Christians in all seasons of life. I'm going to say that one more time. Look at the screen as I, as I say it. James teaches us that personal prayer is vital for all Christians in all seasons of life. He, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Pray. Is anyone among you cheerful or is anyone among you happy? Sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Uh, let me touch on that for just a second. Uh, that word sick there can mean physical sickness. It can. In fact, it does 18 times in the New Testament. It can mean physical sickness. 12 times it means spiritually weak or weary. I, I want to make the point that I believe this is more leaning towards weak and weary faith than it is physical sickness. But please hear me. Physical sickness oftentimes, many times, leads to spiritual weakness. Okay? Spiritual weakness and lack of faith oftentimes leads to physical illness. But there's a difference in that and you being sick as a result of a particular sin. First Corinthians allows us to see that can actually happen. You can be sick due to a particular sin, but most of the time that is not the case. Jesus, with the man who was born blind, he said it's not his sin or his parents' sin. Uh, this is for the glory of the Lord that's about to take place in his, in his healing. Uh, it's not always, uh, it's always a result of the fall. It's not always a result of a particular sin. But hear me out in this room. Your sin will make you weak. Okay, it'll make you weak. Weak faith can affect physical uh, abilities and physical wellness. Physical sickness can affect a faith. Okay, and so I, I believe this applies in so many different ways here. But let's begin by looking at these three areas that we're commanded to, to go to the Lord in prayer. The first is this, is the season of suffering. So maybe I'll ask the question about this. What, what about when I'm suffering? The, the book of James was written to Christians. Okay, so the book of James was written to people who were following Jesus. They believed the gospel of Jesus who were uh, dispersed. So after Acts chapter 8, if you read that chapter and see uh, the chapter 7, Stephen dies. He is martyred. Uh, Acts chapter 8 begins and you have the, the churches spread abroad. And so James writes to these Christians who are dispersed all over the place. So there's certainly much suffering. A lot of the suffering is related directly to, and we should read it this way, a persecution. But in our setting today and in this room, I believe that the Lord gives us freedom to apply, not just in the area of suffering due to persecution, but suffering uh, is due to just living in a fallen world. And so I want to ask the question, uh, what about when I'm suffering? What do I do? 
James says to what? He says to pray. He says to pray. Two just practical tools here. Maybe this will help you. Two lines that I, that I want to give you. Write, write these down. When you're suffering, remember this. Pray even if and even when you don't feel like it. Okay? Pray even when you don't feel like it. Second is this. Listen. Pray even when you don't know how. Pray even if you don't feel like it and pray even when you don't know how. I've got a comforting word for you today. God is big enough for even a bad prayer. Like we might could even miss it a bit on a day theologically. God's big enough to handle our prayers. He's big enough to handle our issues, our sufferings, our cries. God's big enough to do that, but may he guide us through his word during that time. But listen, even when you don't feel like it, pray. Even when you don't know how, pray. Wow, that is on the screen. That was cool. I didn't know that was gonna be on the screen. That's awesome. All right, remember this. God's promises, God's word, his promises are flooded with hope for those who are suffering. Learn to pray in light of that truth. I got a word for you if you're suffering today. It's this, God loves you. God loves you today. God cares for you today. What you're going through matters to the Lord. How do I know this? Simple. His son suffered for us. His son suffered for us. Why? That one day we might be able to endure suffering that we are going through and then for all of eternity experience a life without it. Jesus Christ suffered for you. God cares. God cares for you. What about when I'm happy? You know, the the way that I think about this is I, I think of the third floor at DCH. I've used this example before, but I think of the third floor at DCH. I was there this past week with Carl Logan uh, I, I've been there many times. You got the ICU unit there on the third floor. You certainly have mixed emotions that are taking place in ICU. You enter, you, you leave ICU, you take a left and you go down the hall and what happens? You enter into the labor and delivery. On the labor and delivery floor, you have mixed emotions. For someone, and I've been both, I just wanna tell you, for someone, they're having the greatest day of their life. For someone else, they're having the most horrific day they've ever experienced. Do you see? The third floor of the hospital is a really good picture to me of what life is actually like for people in this room. Somebody on your row is, is struggling, is suffering, is down and out. They are, uh, they are really having a battle spiritually. Someone else on your row is having like, they just feel at peace. They're smiling. Their Instagram feed proves this. Okay, like, like they're, you know, like, like everything in their life so far it, this week and this month are, are smiles and laughter, not tears and sorrow. We have a room here where people in this room could make sense of and give walking, talking examples of the seasons that we're talking about here in this point. James says that for you who are suffering, pray. 
and for you who are cheerful, for you who are happy. In fact, in light of suffering, all of us are in the room are experiencing suffering around us in this world, if nothing else. We're to sing praise. I, I just want to walk through what that might uh, look like for us or how this might can help our hearts. We need to learn not to forget the Lord when times are good. Don't forget him when times are good. Rejoice in the blessings that he's given. Learn to be thankful. Learn to celebrate. As Christians, we should celebrate more. I think we should have more parties in our hearts. You know what I mean? Like, like you should celebrate more the gifts from God. Celebrate more his goodness and his grace. Learn to sing to the Lord. I, I have like the worst singing voice probably in this room. I think I win. I, I'm the worst vocalist, I believe, that, that's in this place. Uh, but learn to just enjoy singing to the Lord. I hope you know what I mean when I say this. Church, learn to be okay being happy. Any of you struggle with just enjoying something? You know, like you enjoy something, but you feel like you have to give a justification for why you really shouldn't have to enjoy it or that next week it's probably going to be awful. Some of you like, you know, do you ever watch Saturday Night Live, the Debbie Downer? Like, here she comes, here comes Debbie Downer. Okay, that, that is what, listen, don't be Debbie Downer. All right, like you walk in and I'm like, man, like last night I went, I went to Florence, Alabama with my kids. We went to a birthday party. There's a big water slide. It was fun. We just had the best time. My kids laughed a lot. They argued a little. It, it was fun. I, I'm coming back home just happy. I, I thought this morning, I could walk in this place and you say, how are you? And I, man, I'm happy. I had a great time with my kids. Somebody else will be like, just wait till they get bigger. <laughs> just wait till they get bigger. Yeah. I mean, like quit. Okay, like quit being that guy. Like just learn. Like I want to be a person that can just enjoy a gift. You need to learn that too. Enjoy God's gifts. Celebrate them. Receive them. We can't stay here. That's a whole nother sermon. All right, here we go. Understand also in cheerfulness the tension that exists. And this week, oh, have I felt it. Listen, the tension that exists between my happiness and the world's sufferings. Okay? There is, there is much tension that should exist in our life when, when I say, oh, what a day I'm having. Driving to Florence to a birthday party when what, oh, what is happening in Turkey? Driving, enjoying my kids. I mean, seriously, just think about the life I had yesterday compared to what's happening in France. I, I know, and, and that's just, that's the big picture. Imagine like the small picture of this room. Like how can I enjoy my day when I know that somebody else hurts in my congregation? And I'm telling you, there's tension there and it should be. But God says, listen, he says to us, when you're suffering, pray. And when you're cheerful, sing praise, be thankful. Lastly, what about that? What about when I'm too sick to pray? What about when I'm too weak to pray? I believe this is a beautiful call to the church body to understand this. Sometimes you feel too weak in your faith to pray to the Lord and to even cling to his promises rightly. And you need to understand this, Keith and I, and it, it's bigger than this, but it's at least this. Keith and I, as your overseers, as your pastors, as your elders, we, we desire to be able to come. Now, it's not call on the phone, it's call alongside. We want to come alongside you and have the shepherds who, listen, we, are, we're, we shepherd your soul. Let us come over you and display and pray over you faith that maybe you lack today. 
oh man, what a gift of grace the church is to God's people. The, the people, what a gift people are to other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? That I can pray in my faith, praying over you and the promises that I remember and cling to for your life that you all of a sudden are resurrected in it. Do you see that? Sometimes you're too weak to pray and you need others to pray over you. The Bible says for Keith and I, listen, we need to know our job is to be prayer warriors over your life. Not just pray for you, but pray with you. If you can't pray, if you feel like you can't pray, if you're too weak to pray, listen, let us pray over you. That's the call from the scripture. Now, there's so much more to it. The anointing with oil, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. There's so much to this passage. Our goal is not today to give you a full breakdown of James 5. It's to give you a breakdown of the one another command. So we're going to move from number one there to number two. Though I do want to point out one thing. I got it in my notes here written in the side in pencil. can barely read my writing. It is very biblical to understand that sometimes you're too weak to pray. All of us are encouraged by God's word, Romans chapter eight, that when we are too weak to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit of God intercedes for you as a Christian. Jesus Christ himself intercedes for you. God intercedes for us in our weakness. May we be a people who are willing to intercede for others and theirs. Leaving point number one to point number two. Here we go. Let me check my time. We're good. All right. James reminds us, number two, that there is great danger in attempting to live the Christian life apart from transparent, forgiving, and praying relationships within Christ's body. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What a strong word. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. I want to give you this one. Just hear this. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see how these two go together? James chapter five, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The first area I want to address is this, is that we need to have a place, and this is difficult language here, and I I didn't feel comfortable saying a place, but just work with me, uh, a place to confess our sins to one another. I don't want you to leave this uh, room today and think that I'm saying, hey, you know, a, a Sunday school class or a life group or a house or a room or whatever. I don't mean place in, in terms of a structured event. I mean place in terms of you need to have a people, you need to have a person, you need to have a, an, a place that you're able to confess your sins to one another, okay? Let's first understand that by looking at a broader uh, or, a, or a, maybe the bigger picture, and it's this, is what does it mean to confess our sins to God? What does it mean to confess our sins to God? So if you're making little notes there, maybe just give you a bullet point there, confession of our sins to the Lord. Listen, the, the goal of confession is not confession itself. You'll see where I'm going in a second. The goal of confession is walking with Jesus in freedom. 
The goal of confession is not found in a confession booth. It's not getting in a booth. The goal of confession is understanding your righteousness is not found there, but in heaven at the right hand of God. We need to first understand before we can talk about confessing sins to one another, what confessing is and what it's not. When I was growing up, I really ignored, I guess, God's word. I, I, I don't know why I did that. I, I, I thought I was a, a, a pretty good kid, but, but overall, I just really ignored God's word. Honestly, nobody really led me through God's word. I, I wasn't discipled uh, by an individual really forced to walk through scripture like we're doing for you uh, until I was in my 20s. Uh, but, but what I, what I've learned is this, is I've thought back on my life. I, I remember being 17, 18 years old. And I bet a lot of you can identify with this. I, I would, I would lay in bed at night and this is after whatever I did during the day, I would lay in bed at night and I would feel the guilt and the shame and the fear that came into my life because of eternal realities. And I would lay in my bed and I would seek to confess all of my sins from that day. Now, I don't know if you've been there. It's almost as if you said, okay, what would make me better is if I could list out every sin that I've committed. Now, some of you may have a piece of paper at home where you literally have all of the sins that you think you've committed on this day. I want you to know that that doesn't heal you. That, that doesn't heal you. It didn't heal me. I confessed my sins. I knew they were wrong. I confessed them out loud, even to God. Now, I didn't understand God to be who I now understand God to be, but I confessed my sin, but it did nothing but leave me in bondage. Night after night after night, I would list my sins to the Lord only to list them the next night. For many of you, your Christian life may look more like that than the Christian life is supposed to look like in the New Testament. In fact, a lot of prayers, if you listen to the way that you pray, throughout your prayers, you very rarely engage the Lord with his promise, but instead you backtrack on them by saying, but Lord, please today, forgive me of my sins, forgive me of my sins, forgive me of my sins. When the reality of our sermon that we proclaim to you from God's word is that you are forgiven. Now, how we view who we are in Christ affects the way that we confess our sins to the Lord. And so for you, I want to uh, maybe throw this line out there. Confession of sin is not a game that we play. It's believing in a gospel that was given. It's not a game that we play, but it's a gospel that we believe. Night after night, Day after day, confessing of sins didn't heal my heart, but the gospel of Jesus did. Martin Luther, one of the best examples of this ever, eight hours a day, he would confess his sins in the booth, hitting his chest, hitting his stomach, damaged his intestines. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Until one day, 
he realized that he would not love God more as he was beating his stomach, but he instead believed Romans chapter eight, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Believing that verse, he then said it was as I looked into heaven and I said, there is my righteousness. Martin Luther then changed the world. Your righteousness is not found in a confession booth, but it's found in Jesus Christ. The goal is not the confession itself, making sure I made time to confess. The goal was that believing the gospel, I walked out in freedom. Let's move from confession to God to this, the next part, and it flows very well. Confession of our sins to one another. Let's read that Proverbs uh, once again, chapter 28, verse 13. He, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This confession of sins thing is risky. How many of you went, don't raise your hand, but when I started talking about confessing your sins to one another, you immediately started thinking about the lack of trust that you have for the person beside you. If I confess this to this person, what would they think about me? What would they do? Would they tell someone else? Uh, Albert a Baptist, we, we must be a people who are trustworthy. We must be a people who uh, are, are able to uh, go into a room with someone and love them well. We're able to be in front of someone at the coffee shop and then tell us where they are and not go tell the brother uh, down the road, but instead really seek restoration for that person and love them uh, with, with keeping that to ourselves. We, we need to be a people who can be trusted. And I agree with you. Not everybody in this room, I guess, is trustworthy. If you're a person who's known for taking what someone else tells you and running off and telling it to somebody else, you're probably not the person that you need, that somebody needs to go to. You're the person that needs to hear this heed today and say, hey, God requires of you that you would love someone enough not to go tell what they said don't tell. Okay, like you need to change your ways. But to the person that feels like there's no one that can hear my sin and love me through it, I want you to know you can be known and loved here at Alberta Baptist Church. And we need to be a people who can, who can do that. We're called to confess our sins to one another. There's a kind of privacy with our sin that can lead to our inability to live in faith. Okay? I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if, if you know much about him as a German theologian. And at one point he was separated or he was in prison and he was unable to be with the body of Christ. And he wrote a book called Life Together. And it's a phenomenal book, but he discusses this very thing in, in that book, The Confession of Sins. And he addresses the reality that most people in church, and I believe this is definitely the case for what I learned in youth ministry and leading youth and even the way that I was taught in some ways, uh, you know, just by our culture and articles and whatever it was I read, was that for us to confess sins, we need to develop accountability partners. So raise your hand if you've ever been a part of an accountability group. Raise your hand. 
Raise it high, loud and proud. Okay, let's make it. Okay, so an accountability group. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is going to make a, he's going to distinguish a difference between accountability partners and what he calls mutual confession. Uh, I have been a part of numerous accountability groups. And the goal of accountability groups tends to be this, be better, do better. Be better, do better. Like, like I came because I had a problem and we gathered together. We acknowledged we all had a problem and we said, okay, we don't need to do this anymore. And so we would talk week after week or day after day or however many times it took. And we would say, okay, this week, I'm not going to do that thing. This week, I'm not going to be that person. This week, I'm going to change. And, and so we left the accountability group. And then the next week, where there was five of us the week before, now there was four of us in the group. Why was there four? Because one wasn't better. One didn't do better. One did better for about 24 hours. And then on the 25th hour, he did worse. And then he didn't show up for the group next time. And so do better and be better didn't work very well for us when there was five of us and then there was down to the one. Why? Because accountability groups oftentimes proclaim law more than gospel. Be better, do better. I want to give you a different way. In our life groups, we call it biblical accountability. That means we speak truth to one another. We don't just share our sin. We speak truth in light of where we are. We speak truth over the person. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, years ago, he didn't call it uh, life groups. He didn't call it anything like that. It wasn't that he said, what about we get away from accountability partners into this thing called mutual submission. I want to read to you the way that he describes it. And I bet for some of you, this is going to really mess with your mind. Okay. So, so hear me out. This was Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing on mutual submission. He said, that Christ became our brother in order to help us. And everybody said, amen. Next part. Through him, now our brother has come, has become Christ for us in the power and the authority of the commission Christ has given to him. Our brother stands before us as the sign of the truth and the grace of God. He has given to us, he was given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's, uh, in his stead, and he forgives us our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confessions as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, it is as if I am going to God himself. Okay, now for some of you, you're really bothered or you're scared by that statement. I want you to understand what he's saying. It's the power of prayer and the power of presence is what he's speaking of here. It's that as we studied about a year ago, maybe more than that, actually it was, we were in 2 Corinthians, is that God is able to comfort us through what? The comfort of his people. In this situation, confession of sins or confession to one another looks like this. I have confessed my sin to my brother. My brother then is able to speak truth over me. I, I, I want to read a, an example. This is a guy, his testimony about mutual confession. 
He said, when I came to sit down on that early Friday morning to confess my sin with my friend, Kel, my cup of coffee was full. My heart sadly was full of shame. No, where my coffee was, my cup was full of coffee. My heart was full of shame. Sometimes I can barely eke out my secrets, but my confession does not pour into an empty room. Two blue eyes stared back at me into mine. A set of ears listened to my most dreadful secrets. I have been masquerading and moonlighting as a sinner when in fact I am a saint. And I am about to reveal my secrets to my brother in Christ. And naturally I begin to brace myself for judgment. Only when Kel speaks and he reminds me because of Christ's work on the cross, because of his resurrection, you are forgiven and free from sin. Though Christ, through Christ's death and resurrection, God says to you today, you're forgiven still. You are forgiven still. Kel echoes the word of God. And he said, now I'm blown away by the grace of Christ every time these words roll off his tongue. I want to ask you this question. Do you have anybody in your life who points you to and constantly reminds you personally who you are in Christ Jesus? Do you have a safe place Do you have a person? Do you have a group? Do you have the ability to unite with the church family so personally that you're able to let the secret of your heart out so that that person may speak the the beauty of God's word over your life? See, what people need to hear is not you broke the rules. People need to hear who they are and who they can be in Christ Jesus. This is what James is talking about more than anything else. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's the ability to have someone speak into your life and and watch what you thought was dead be brought to life and what you thought was lost be found again. And it's when you say, there's no way I could be loved and known at the same time. And yet it's a brother or sister in Christ that in front of you looks you in the eyes and say, but I love you and I know you and I'm still here. God knows you and loves you and he's still exactly who he said he was. He's exactly who, he's actually done what he said he, he did and he will love you until the end and so will I. That's life-changing. It's life-changing. Oftentimes we need to be reminded of and picked up by the very promise of God, by our brother and sister in Christ speaking it over us and in a sense believing in our stead. It doesn't mean that my faith can count for your faith, but my faith spoken over your life. You're a child. You're free. You're forgiven. How do I know this? Look at the gospel of Jesus. Do you have a place in your life where that kind of transparency can take place? If not, my friends, you will not grow the way that Christ intends. uh, Wow, there's so much more to say. Confess your sins to one another. Just several things to consider before we move on to our last part. We, We can't pray for what we don't know. 
We, we can't pray for what we don't know about you. And so like, if, if you kind of live your life in an unspoken world, you probably will not receive the healing that God desires to give you for your suffering. Learn to find someone. Learn to find a group of people. Learn to have at least one circle where what is exists in your life, maybe now in private or in secret, can be brought to life and exposed. We can't pray for well what we do not know. Uh, we also need to understand that this isn't as easy as just finding a group. This also may be you pursuing an individual. You may have offended someone in the past that still plagues you in the present. You may have a broken relationship that, that you need to mend. This may be a confession of sin that I have to go to you and say, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I said about you. I'm sorry for what I did to you so that healing may take place. This could be asking forgiveness from someone whom you've offended. To the person that believes this, that the sin confessed should be to the extent that the sin was committed. And so let's say that, that you say, well, I, I sinned against uh, one person, therefore I only need to confess that sin to them. Or I sinned against this one group of people, therefore I only need to you know, acknowledge that sin before them. Uh, I, I wanna say I, I agree with that point on this. Biblically, we are not commanded to confess everything to everyone. In fact, I would tell you, please don't do that. Don't confess everything to everyone, but also understand this, that every sin, even if it's done in private, affects the whole body. No sin is truly private. It affects all of us. So don't confess everything to everyone, but have someone, have a group, have a way to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And let's be a church that can be trusted. Secondly, on that point, we need to have a place that we can pray for one another. We need to have a place where we can pray for one another. Uh, the, the next part of, of the text says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man just like us. Uh, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruits. I wanna remind you of the power of prayer. Like we need to be a people who believe this. Like the Lord makes it very clear through his word that he responds to the prayers of his people. Like prayer matters. Like Elijah wasn't special and that he had a way to pray that we don't. Like, like really, he was a man with a nature like ours. Like he was, he was just a guy, but he was a guy with faith. And as he prayed, God heard his prayer and he responded to it. And I don't think we should take this too far. I, I think we need to be careful, but I also don't think we should make light of it. We need to be a people who were willing to pray for one another and understand the power of prayer. Believe that God uses prayer. Like Kyle said, prayer works. I mean, but believe that God hears and responds to our prayers. The, the second aspect of this, that we need to have a place to pray for one another is this, is you need to understand the power of presence. 
We, we live in a social media world. We live in a, a world full of technology where you can know something about everybody and yet not be known. Isn't that crazy? Like you can know something about more people. We have the ability to communicate and be connected in a way that's never been in history. And yet we are a people who seem to suffer from the fewest personal connections that's probably been in American history. Like, like we live in a society where no one really knows each other, even though you know something about everyone. My word, listen, listen, understand the power of presence. Understand the difference in praying for someone and praying with them. That's where I really like the anointing of oil part of the passage. Man, just that, that feel like, like it could be an ointment that's being rubbed on or it could be just a picture of you're set apart. You're set apart, but whatever it is in that picture, it's a physical, like they know that you're present with them as you pray over them. And listen, people, we, we need to be a church body that is quick, that is quick to pray with our brothers and sisters not just say we will pray for them. The power of presence, the power of somebody with their hand on your head, praying over them. I pray with my girls every night. I put my hand on their head. Annie Ruth will search for my hand. The power of presence. And God uses our prayers to bring restoration to his people. And the last part with that is just, man, just feel today the beauty of, Listen, the beauty of being known and yet loved. That people know who I am and they still love me. People that are able to speak into someone's life and say, I am for you because God's for you. I forgive you because Christ forgives you. You are known and loved in my presence because you're known and loved in the presence of our God. Can you imagine a church where fake didn't exist? You can be known and loved here. Paul Tripp, he's one of my favorite writers. He he says this, he says that change or transformation, it's a community project. That, That for us to become who we will finally be in Christ, man, it takes a community of faith. And allowing people in my life that can push me to be in the image of Jesus, that can speak truth over my life of who I am in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that's why I am so adamant about saying over you, you gotta get out of a row and into a circle sometime. In rows, you can't get this. It is found face to face, eye to eye with someone else in the body of Christ. From rows to circles. Last point, we need to have people who are willing, people in our life who are willing to fight for our faith. I know it's time, but I'm not stopping. All right, let's let's finish this. This is God's word. Let's, Let's listen. This is so good. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Do you have anybody in your life that'll come get you if you wander? Do you have a people that would know that you're gone? 
And church body, do you put all the pressure on me and Keith to do that? Because I want you to know, we, we will fail miserably if that's our job. If we have any growth, we have no chance. Do you personally have someone that will come get you when you wander? Do you have someone that will be there for you to pull you back? And church, are you willing to pursue someone with the love and the passion of Jesus? Leave the 99 to go get the one. Will you go for the wanderer and bring them back? Please let this be an environment here that we welcome not the guest alone, but we welcome those who they strayed away and now they're back. May we be a people who are willing to uh, know people enough to seek after the wanderer. And please, please, if you're at that fragile place in your life, and someone is, someone in here is, that fragile place where you don't know if faith matters anymore, you don't know what you believe anymore, you don't know where you are anymore, please, Be connected to someone. Let them hear where you are so that they can bring you back. They can pull you back in the power and the love of our Lord. We have to be a people who are known so that we can truly be a people who knows that we are loved. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Father, I ask that you would use your word today.